Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. The Metropolitan Man by Alexander Wales, read by Eniash Brodsky. Second half of Chapter 10, A Vast and Terrifying Enemy. The trial went quickly. The last crime boss of Metropolis took on a serious, concerned look in the courtroom. Of course, it was a terrible thing that happened to June Whitman and her tragically deceased brother, but she was a confused young girl coerced into testimony by Superman, the alien god who had a personal vendetta against Calhoun. On the third day of the trial, June took the stand. She broke down under cross-examination and was ushered out of the courthouse by her father, who shot a withering look at both Calhoun and Superman himself. Willie didn't figure that he had much of a shot of winning the trial, but hell if he wasn't going to go down fighting. If he lost, he had a revolver ready to shove into his mouth. At his age, with all the enemies he'd made over the years and hardly a dime to his name, it seemed like a better option than ten years in Sing Sing. At night, he said his prayers to Superman. Willie confessed to every single crime he'd ever committed, and a number of them he hadn't. He described in vivid detail the things he'd do to Superman if only he could, and when that got old, he moved on to anything else he could think of. There had to be some way of provoking the alien, something that Willie could say that would get some reaction. There had to be something, some set of words that would get the alien's calm stoicism to crack. His prayers were greeted only by silence. Someone knocked on the window when Clarence had just gotten himself ready for bed. He nearly jumped out of his skin when he turned to the side and saw Superman standing on the fire escape. He slowly padded over and opened the window. He'd seen Superman in court, but up close he was much more impressive, and more threatening. Two days ago, you received $300 to help sway your position. Clarence didn't trust himself to speak. The woman had walked beside him and told him to deliver a guilty verdict. The money had been in his hands shortly afterwards, without him even agreeing to anything. It was more than he made in a month. I was going to tell the judge. I was going to explain to him. No, you weren't. I don't care. You need the money. I can accept that. But when you go into deliberation, don't let it sway you. Think about what you've heard in court and make up your own mind. Decide the case on its merits. You... you're helping Calhoun? You hate him. I do. But when he's convicted, it needs to be by the books. I promised him that. There are forces working against him, powerful people with their own agendas, and if he goes to jail because people with money and influence wanted him there, that's just as bad as if he stayed out of jail because he intimidated witnesses and tampered with the jury. Clarence nodded along. He would have nodded along to anything that Superman said at that moment. I'm not saying whether you should find him guilty or not guilty. I'm saying that your verdict needs to be true to the laws as they stand. Clarence nodded once more, and Superman stepped back from the window. Clarence? Clarence choked on his words, and simply nodded once. I was never here. 
Superman flew away, as quiet as a whisper. It was clear now that Clarence should have ducked out on jury duty. Tomorrow, he'd have to go into a room with all the other jurors and deliberate, knowing full well that Superman was listening to every word they said. He wondered how many of them were getting visits from Superman in the middle of the night. It was a long time before he got to sleep. The standard of proof that we're hewing to is reasonable doubt, said Clarence. If it's reasonable doubt, then we have to return a verdict of not guilty. Simple as that, said Lewis. He's gotta be guilty of something, said Frank with a drawn-out sigh. I feel like before today, we were in agreement here. Calhoun is guilty as sin. It's written on his face. Superman's been cleaning up town, and Calhoun just wanted to hurt him however he could. It didn't come up in the courtroom, and we're not supposed to be reading the papers, said Clarence. Sure. But I don't understand why we have to throw out things that we know. Sure as shit, Superman knows things that he's not allowed to say. But you can't look at him sitting opposite Calhoun and possibly think that Superman is making a mistake. We have to do this by the books, said Stewart. Could a reasonable person doubt that Willie Calhoun was guilty of these specific crimes relating to what happened to June and Robert Whitman? Seems to me that the answer is yes. The whole case rests on June, and I think it's damned reasonable to question her testimony. She's eleven! You're calling her a liar after what she's been through? Arlo coughed into his fist. <clears throat> Not a liar. We're spinning in circles here. The question isn't about the crime, it's about who ordered the crime. And the evidence doesn't seem to go past the point of reasonable doubt. I'm not saying the girl is a liar. I'm saying that maybe she misheard something, or maybe she got confused. Both are possible. Frank sat back in his seat and sighed. <sighs> Alright, you fellows want to take another vote and see whether we're coming to an agreement? He descended from the heavens like a golden god. There were no strings or wires to hold him aloft, no jets or boosters, only a simple power of flight that seemed to defy the laws of physics. The reporters cleared a space around him as he touched down with perfect grace. His brown hair was perfectly styled with a curl at the front, as always. Instead of the trademark half-grin, Superman wore a scowl. Not guilty. He murmured, only seconds before the doors to the courthouse opened wide and people began to spill out. The crowd of reporters around him shoved their bulky microphones in his face as they heard the news. Lois stood towards the back, not bothering to hide the worry she felt on hearing the news. Luther was supposed to take care of this kind of thing, damn it. Superman, how do you feel about Calhoun getting off again? Are you going to catch him again, Superman? What's the point of putting the bad guys away if you can't make it stick? William Calhoun strolled out of the courthouse, surrounded by a flock of reporters all of his own. He wore a brown suit with a bright red tie, and smiled for the cameras as the flashbulbs went off around him. It would be headline news. Calhoun spotted Superman only moments after he stepped outside, and casually walked over. Pleasure to be out on a stroll on this fine day, ain't it, Soups? Said Calhoun with a grin. He was only a handful of feet away from the alien, and the reporters had backed off enough to get a good photo of the two standing together. The wind picked up, causing Superman's cape to billow out behind him, and the flashbulb started going off in earnest. You'll pay for your crimes. 
If you ignored the cape, the skin-tight suit, and the oversized muscles, you could almost imagine him as a teacher ready to haul a student out of the classroom by his ear. I'm sure you've heard with those marvelous ears of yours. His shit-eating grin never left his face. I'm innocent. The justice system isn't perfect. I think that's been made clear today. I bet it just eats you up to know that you got it wrong once again. Three times you haul me in, and three times I walk free. What is it you got against me? Is it because I'm Irish? He was posing for the cameras in subtle ways. Calhoun, with a smile and a strut, and Superman, with his hands folded across his chest. You're a murderer. A rapist, a pimp, a liar, and a crook. You are everything wrong with humanity, and they let you go. Calhoun put on his widest smile and leaned in close. Close enough that Superman surely could have smelled the man's breath. I'm not guilty in the eyes of the law. Chuck one up for truth, justice, and the American way! It happened faster than anyone could see. They said that Superman could react to lightning before seeing the flash. They said that he could catch the bullets from a dozen guns at once. He was, by any fair accounting, the single fastest thing to have ever been on Earth. The time between when he decided to do it and the time it was already done could have been measured in milliseconds. Later in the day, one lucky photographer would develop a picture of the exact moment that Superman landed his punch, so fast that it was a blur. One moment Calhoun was taunting Superman, and the next Superman stood with a single fist held straight out in front of him. It was covered in blood. Calhoun's head was spread out over the crowd, covering the reporters with bone and gore, and Calhoun's body fell to the ground with a soft thud. Superman lowered his fist and then rose up into the sky, flying away from the shouted questions and the flashes of cameras. Lex worked carefully to pull the large tube from inside the spaceship. He'd first thought that it must be some special alloy, like the skin of the ship seemed to be. But the reason that it so effectively blocked the x-rays was that it was nothing more than simple lead. When he was finished, a tube of lead sat on the floor of the workshop. So far as he could guess, this was a power source of some sort. He'd already identified the engine analog, though he had no idea how it worked. The thick cables internal to the ship all seemed to terminate at the leaden tube and in another portion of the ship that Lex had only vaguely guessed the purpose of. The tube of lead was attractive though, above and beyond anything else. There were few reasons to use a material like lead, and one of them was shielding. Lex set up a containment area for the tube, which consisted of little more than layers of lead to surround it and a Geiger counter that was wired through to where Lex could read it. The mechanical apparatus took some time to make, but eventually he was able to rig the whole thing up so that he would be able to see whether there was any lethal radiation once the tube had been opened without having to expose himself to it. Lex worked slowly and carefully, and was eventually satisfied that he wouldn't get a lethal dose of radiation poisoning. He took away the layers of lead and peered closely at what he had uncovered. The immense promise of this particular part of the ship was that whoever had built the thing had saw fit to include shielding in the first place. If it was a threat to the infant alien, then perhaps it would be a threat to the adult alien as well. 
When Lex looked down at the green glow of the central core, he could only smile. There was an immense amount of work still left to do in order to determine the precise nature of the threat it might pose to Superman and how best to capitalize on that. But it held definite hope for the future. It would need a name, of course. Kryptonite had a nice ring to it. End Chapter 10 Chapter 11 Actions and Consequences He what? asked Lex. He gripped the phone closer to his ear, though that wouldn't help with the poor connection. It was moments like this that made him want to revolutionize the entire telecommunications industry. An investment of a million dollars would surely be enough to get clear audio between Metropolis and Hub City. Of course, the world was filled with such problems waiting for the right solutions, and pushing things along too quickly was a waste of money more often than not. He killed William Calhoun, sir, repeated Mercy. Who knows? Everyone, sir. It happened just outside the courthouse after the not guilty verdict was handed down. I had hoped they would find him guilty. Mercy was supposed to take care of things in Metropolis while he was in Hub City. This was the first time in their long association that she had failed him, and either that meant she was slipping, or someone powerful was working against her. Both were worrying. I know, sir. I'm still trying to find out what happened. Lex thought for a moment. I'll fly home later today. Whatever is happening there needs my attention. He hung up without waiting for a response. Early on, he'd made a classification scheme for the most probable scenarios involving Superman, and so far as he could tell, this was somewhere between Class C and Class E. Superman had killed in a public way, which might signal any number of things. A simple rash decision, a campaign of lethality against the criminal element, or the opening moves of tyranny. Superman had given no indication that he knew what Lex was doing, and Lex was highly unlikely to get caught in the crossfire, which was the important thing for now. The estimated deaths from a Class E scenario were in the thousands, and while there would be severe economic effects, it was nothing that couldn't be weathered in the short term. Hopefully, the short term would be all that Lex would need. In fact, a Class C scenario might be of some benefit. If Superman had only killed because he had momentarily snapped, it was possible it would make the other scenarios less likely, depending on which model of his psychology was correct. People were hard to predict, though, especially those with alien psychologies and a penchant for lies. Scenarios of Class J and higher involved the effective obliteration of the human race in some way, but so long as Lex Luthor, his stores of knowledge, and the spaceship were all safe, it was still possible that Superman might yet be killed. Which meant that anything up to the murder of hundreds of millions might still allow humanity to survive. He still didn't know how kryptonite worked, or what, precisely, it did. The use of lead as a shield implied radiation of some kind, in addition to the radiation of green light that gave it the distinct glow. He'd taken copious notes and photographs as he'd taken apart the ship, and while the kryptonite definitely seemed to be a power source, it wasn't clear how that power was generated or harnessed. Lex had made no attempt to activate the ship, and had no real plans to do so until after attempts at using kryptonite as a weapon had failed, and then only after careful consideration of the risks and dangers. 
the piece of the ship that seemed to be an engine would be left alone for the foreseeable future. Anything with the power to exceed the speed of light, or even achieve a reasonable fraction thereof, was a de facto weapon of unconscionable power. The kryptonite was in a solid block that must have weighed nearly 20 kilograms, which was wholly inconvenient. Lex was hesitant to split it up into smaller parts in the event that doing so would interfere with its use as a power source for the ship, though at least the lack of internal padding and shock absorbers suggested that this wouldn't be dangerous. It was possible that kryptonite by itself held no harm at all for Superman, and that kryptonite was only dangerous when the ship was powered on and using the no doubt immense amounts of power that interstellar travel required. Lex had settled for doing experiments on the exposed surface of the core of kryptonite. The lead tube that contained the kryptonite was itself surrounded by a box of lead that Lex had constructed to provide for shielding. He carefully lifted a cage out from the box and peered at the rat that had been living on top of the kryptonite for the past three days. A quick dissection confirmed what a physical examination had suggested. The rat was no worse for the extended exposure. When Lex was finished, he tossed the corpse into a wastebasket with a frown. Whatever kryptonite was emitting besides light was essentially invisible to every tool that Lex possessed, but Superman's amazing powers suggested that there were many aspects of physics that humanity had not yet discovered. Lex made a snap decision. He put on a thick pair of gloves and pulled the leaden tube from the box he'd built, and then carefully pulled the block of kryptonite out of the tube. It came free on the first attempt with a slight click. The spaceship had proven remarkably easy to take apart once Lex had gotten to know the tricks to its design, and he was confident in his ability to put it back together again. Whoever had built it was an engineer of the highest caliber who had designed it with serviceability in mind. He was being more risky than he would normally have been, but time was not on his side. It cleaved cleanly when he tapped at it with a hammer and chisel. Floyd had a bedroll, a pillow, a bucket filled with his excrement, a can opener, a large amount of tinned food, and a rain barrel that Superman refilled every few days. It wasn't much to fashion an escape with. The hole was 300 feet down and curved slightly at the top to keep rain or snow from getting in. The rock had been smashed through by Superman, leaving what looked like easy handholds, but a single slip even halfway up the hole would surely result in death. It was, unfortunately, wide enough that Floyd couldn't brace himself against both sides without stretching, which meant it would be difficult to get a real rest. He looked up the hole for the third time in as many minutes, trying to plot out a route and not think about how dangerous and futile the climb was going to be. After he escaped out the hole, a jaunt through the wilderness and certain recapture would be waiting for him. He'd just about worked up the nerve to make the first jump up when Superman came down the hole, moving at speed. The blast of wind flung everything into the air, including Floyd. Before he even had time to react to his meager possessions being slammed against the walls of the room, a solid hand was against his throat, pinning him in place. Superman's eyes blazed with anger, and he pulled back a fist. Floyd flinched back, which under Superman's hand amounted to little more than turning his head a half inch to the side. When no impact came, he opened his eyes back up. Superman was breathing hard. 
His face was still a mask of fury, and his fist poised for the punch. A long moment passed. Oh, your father... Ugh. Floyd tried to say. A single tear rolled down Superman's cheek. Superman flung Floyd to the side, and he landed in a heap of what felt like a number of broken ribs. He coughed, not just because of the hit against the wall, but because the bucket had been knocked over and suffused the air with a foul smell. When Floyd looked up, Superman was gone again. Floyd had been trying to say, your father, a last-ditch effort at saving his own life. He had no clue whether it had made the difference. Superman had wanted to kill him, but hadn't been able to bring himself to throw the punch. Strangely enough, Lois felt better about Superman now that he was off the reservation. The anticipation had been the worst part of it all, and now that he had finally snapped, she found herself calm and focused. The time for subtle manipulation and walking on eggshells had passed, and that came as a relief. Actually dealing with a disaster was something she could handle. It was worrying about the possibility of disaster that had been destroying her. Or perhaps she was simply too numb to properly feel dread anymore. You're telling me that Superman killed the last crime boss of Metropolis in the middle of broad daylight and you didn't get a picture of it? Asked Perry White. He leaned over his desk and laid his hands down on either side of it, looking for all the world like he was about to vault over the mess of paperwork and personally throw Jimmy Olsen out of the building. I couldn't, said Jimmy. He was... Uh, he did it too fast. I took a picture just before, and the cops started moving people away just after that. I swear. Ugh. We'll have to send a runner to one of the other papers and pay out of the nose for a picture if we can, because I'm sure as hell not going to be the only guy printing off extras without the blood and guts. Obscenity loss be damned. He turned to Lois. You're getting this story written, right? Lois wore a skirt that hung down just past her knees and a white blouse. Both were splattered with blood on the left side, marking a perfect silhouette where she'd been standing behind another reporter. She'd cleaned most of the blood and gore off her face with the sleeve of her blouse during the taxi ride over, and she'd had to tip the guy extra for the mess she'd left behind in his back seat. But that was so far down the list of things to worry about that it might as well not have happened. Just tell me how many words. I got opening portion of it written on the way over. Local businessman William Calhoun was murdered shortly after his not guilty verdict by none other than... Change that to Alien Vigilante Superman. Murdered local businessman. Maybe add allegedly, though I don't know how you'd contest that. We don't need to say alien. Everyone knows he's an alien. And vigilante is true but harsh, even given what happened. I don't want to give people whiplash by shifting our position too quickly. You write it, I'll mark it up and get it to print. You're both dismissed. This is a steaming pile of shit that's not going to wrap itself up anytime soon. Clark is supposed to come back today, and he should be able to take some of this off your hands whenever his train gets in. Lois practically ran back to her desk and started typing away, getting all of her thoughts out before doing a second pass to reduce it down to something that people would actually want to read. The headline was the most important part, and the picture after that but Perry would be in charge of both of those, so they didn't bear thinking about. Her typewriter was her steadfast friend, and it clattered loudly as she jammed down the keys. Lois often felt like she belonged behind a typewriter. 
She would take what she'd heard and seen and turn it into a narrative that people would consume. And eventually, that would become the version of events that people told themselves. You okay? Jimmy stood next to her desk, shifting side to side uncomfortably. I'm fine, kid. Lois's fingers never left the keys. She paused a moment and looked down at her clothes. My favorite blouse got ruined. She chose her words carefully, not implying any agency. She'd been training herself to be a better liar and a more careful speaker, and she could tell that today was going to be a test of that. If you want to help me, and Perry's got nothing better for you, go grab me a change of clothing from Hudson's. I've got to be back out on the street as soon as this is done. Lex was in Hub City, and though it wasn't safe to speak on the phone, she at least needed to touch base with his Valkyrie of an assistant. She went back to typing, just as fast as before. The big story was Superman, not Calhoun, but she'd spent the whole day preparing to write about the outcome of the trial, and couldn't help but sprinkle in more about the man who died. Calhoun had no doubt deserved it, especially if he was the mastermind behind the bombings. But Lois wasn't going to position herself as Superman's cheerleader. Luther seemed to want her as something of a sycophant, but he hadn't yet been able to bring her around to his way of thinking. Instead, she planned to tell Superman he was wrong in as persuasive and gentle a way as possible. Luther could have words with her later. Okay, but... Jesus Christ, kid, are you still here? Go! Lois shook her head as he scurried away. Some people just didn't have what it took to make it in the news business. The Daily Planet needed a photographer that could stare down mutilated children and burned out homes. Jimmy Olsen was a few months away from dropping out, by her estimation. Though she'd thought the same of Clark, almost from the time he'd signed on. She turned back to the article and tried to focus on the facts. The verdict of the trial had been a big surprise, and the article she'd been expecting to write was about Calhoun's slow decline, peppered with his personal history and an overview of the utter destruction of organized crime in Metropolis. Calhoun's death... His murder changed all that. Now the story was about Superman and his failure to live up to the impossible ideals he had set for himself. It was a story that she'd been wanting to write for a long time, but she tempered her language. Superman wasn't going to get a free pass from her, but she would imply disappointment rather than outrage. Hopefully, she'd be able to have some influence on what the people of Metropolis were talking about tomorrow, and thus what Superman was hearing, though no doubt the radio was already having its say. She dashed off her second draft as quickly as she'd ever done in her life and ran it back to Perry's office. Most of the blood on her clothes had dried from a bright red to a dark brown. She'd felt parts of Calhoun's skull hitting her face and thought that she might have a cut. But the story was done, and that was what mattered. The bone that hit her had stung, like when a car kicks up gravel that hits your shins. Only in this case, the gravel was bone that had been crushed into tiny pieces. A brief image came to her mind of Superman killing every criminal in Metropolis, littering the streets with their bones, no piece left larger than a key on her typewriter. The momentary imagery was unwelcome. She turned her thoughts back to the matter at hand and slapped the article down on Perry's desk. It's no use, he said with a frown. We got a gag order. Lois grimaced. From who? From whom, darling? It came down from on high, in fucking triplicate. 
First, a call from the chief of police. Then a call from the president of the United States himself. Then, the only man I really give a fuck about. Our employer. Who the hell do they think they're kidding? There were a hundred witnesses. There were cameras all over the place. It must have gone out over the radio almost the instant after it happened. They think they're gonna keep this quiet? The radio stations went to dead air in about two seconds flat. Someone had a plan in place for this, or something like it. I don't think they're trying to contain this thing, just to manage it in the short term. I've got no idea what they're going to say to make it better, but for now they're just trying to keep a small bit of control on the situation. I don't really blame them. This is bullshit. Complete and utter bullshit. In the back of her mind, she wondered whether Lex was behind it. So far she could tell, he enjoyed his grand gestures. Giant statues in the park, vast murals along the side of the road. Shutting down mass media and metropolis would be just his style. It was almost reasonable too, if it would prevent panic in the streets of metropolis. No argument there. Perry leaned back in his chair and lit up a cigar. I'll edit for you, and if they lift the embargo, we'll run the story quick as can be. But until then, maybe you better get yourself home and cleaned up. Lois again looked down at her clothes. I already asked Jimmy to go run and get some for me. I'll keep on writing in preparation for when we're allowed to talk about it. When she got back to her desk, there was a note waiting for her, one that she'd been expecting for the last half hour. She read it twice, then steeled herself and headed on up. End first half of chapter 11. Thank you to the following people. Lois Lane by Anonymous. Bram Bakker. J.D. Superman and Clark Kent by Nathan Bowman. Kate Baker reading Marcy Graves. Drake Walker, Willie Calhoun. Anonymous reporter, David Kilman. Anonymous reporter by Peter Sartucci. Anonymous reporter 2, Taryn. Arlo by Lance Finney. Frank by Jim Hayes. Lewis by Zeke Aaron. Clarence by Matt Arnold. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the conclusion of Chapter 11. 